there. Hey, we're kicking off a brand new series today called Margin. Not margarine. That's nasty. Margin. Margin. We're talking about margin and this idea that we live in kind of lives that are kind of fast-paced and overloaded. And what does it look like? How does God design our lives to look like? And he's designed them with some margin. We'll talk a little bit about what that actually is. But I want to prove to you before we start off today, the fact that we live in a fast-paced and overloaded life, and actually maybe even uh, for you to define and, and to, to find out the fact that maybe your life is a little overloaded. So we're going to do a survey this morning. I love doing surveys. I think it's fun to do. And I want you to kind of uh, help me with this, participate with me. Uh, if you got notes, you're gonna maybe flip it over, and you're going to kind of tally a score as we go through this, okay? So this is how it's going to go. We've got a little number system. I'm going to give you uh, kind of five different things, and uh, we're going to do a survey and find out how overloaded we are, okay? So here's, uh, here's, the, here's the survey. Um, how many of you, if you say that when you woke up this morning, you felt relaxed, refreshed, rested, came to church, rested, relaxed, I want you to, I want you to give yourself a zero, if that's you. Relax, refresh, and rest it. Man, you just felt great this morning. Give yourself a zero, okay? If you felt like you could have stayed in bed another 10, 15, 30 minutes to get a little extra something, you just need a little bit of extra, uh, I want you to give yourself a one, okay? If you feel absolutely exhausted, you had seven cups of coffee this morning to try to help, uh, I want you to give yourself a two, and if you're sleeping right now, <laughs> go ahead and give yourself a three, or maybe write on their paper three, and they'll know what that is in just a minute when they wake up. Second question, if you got to church here 10 to 15 minutes early to connect with people, to get your kids transferred over to the OSC Kids building, and you're all good, give yourself a zero, all right? If you got here right at 10... Give yourself a one. If you got here when the music was going, give yourself a two. If you're just walking in, <laughs> we won't go there. You need to be here. I'm glad you're here. All right. <clears throat> if you are up to date on all your laundry, ladies, all right, so this is kind of maybe a ladies thing or maybe single guys thing. If you're up to date on all your laundry, all your laundry is done, you're good, give yourself a zero. All right, you're good, folded away, cleaned, all, all is well. If you're just a little behind, just a little bit behind, the basket is not like overflowing, it's just a little, you got some things maybe to do in a couple days, give yourself a one, all right? <clears throat> if you dug into your hamper today to smell a good shirt that you could put on for church, <laughs> give yourself a two. And if you just sprayed cologne on yourself like you do a Mexican shower like me, not saying I did that this morning, but you can give yourself a three. That's it's called a Mexican shower if you don't know what that is. <clears throat> all right, let's look at finances. If all your bills are paid and you have extra in your account, maybe you put money into a savings account or to a, some other kind of mutual fund or something, and you're good and your bills are paid, give yourself a zero. Okay? If your bills are paid, but at the end of the month, there's nothing there, give yourself a one. If you often pay your bills late, give yourself a two. If you don't pay your bills at all, 
Come talk to us. We have uh, benevolence forms at the office. All right, last one. This one's maybe more for me. If you hit a red light, do you stop and don't get upset? You're good. You, you, when it comes to yellow, you're stopping. Give yourself a zero. If you're about to hit a red light and you break at the last minute and your seatbelts lock up and your children fly to hit the front seat in front of them, go ahead. You stop, though. Give yourself a one. If you are the type of person when you see a yellow light, it looks a little pinkish to you, you gun it and you scream, mercy! As you're flying through, give yourself a two. And if you've hit anybody flying through a red light, go turn yourself in. Give yourself a three. All right, so how'd you do? How'd you do? Let's see. No, I don't want to know your answers, but I'm going to tell you this. If you... Added up your score, go ahead and add them up, but if you added up your score and you have five or more, if you're over the number of five, you're overloaded. You're overloaded. <clears throat> you don't have margin in your life, your activity overload or choice overload, we got debt overload, expectation overload, information overload, work overload, and here's the deal, we just get out of this series four weeks of talking about legacy and being a legacy lever, and we talked about, man, we want to leave a legacy, but... You know, I was telling Pastor Will this morning as we talked, I said, man, as I've been thinking about this margin series, I've, I've thought about this. You can't leave a legacy if you have no margin, though. You can't leave a legacy if you cannot keep up with the pace. You've you got to have a sustainable pace. And at the pace that we're going in our culture, you will burn out quickly. You will fizzle out. You'll get drowned out. Something's going to happen. But we, we live really in an unbiblical and unspiritual sustainable pace. And I'm going to tell you how this works. It, and maybe some of you have asked somebody here when you got here, hey, how's it going? What's the normal response when you get that question? Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. I'm just busy. Any of y'all ever said that before? Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's just, it's going great. Man, just real busy. Just real busy. Got a lot going on. I, I say that all the time. Really, do you ever hear, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. Not doing really anything at all. Doing nothing. Do you ever, nobody ever says that. No, because we live in a fast-paced world where you got to get more, do more, try more, try harder. You got to be more productive. Come on, how many would agree with that? It's always got to go. You're always on the go. Come on, let's be honest. On your days off, what are you doing? Doing more work, aren't you? Cleaning your car, cleaning your yard, mowing your grass. You're, you're, you're doing, you're trying to catch up on chores that you haven't done. You're, you're just busy. We're just always busy. And on days off where it's supposed to be somewhat of a day of rest, you're not even resting. We're just constantly always doing things. We even, even our kids feel overloaded. Come on, how many, how many know your, your kids feel overloaded? If you're overloaded, your kids are overloaded. You're over, the kids go to school for eight hours a day. They come home, they got three hours of homework, and then they got to hurry up and scarf down a meal because they got to get to soccer practice or baseball practice or football practice, and they got to go, and they're out three or four nights a week trying to do activities, and then that's not even the weekends. And how many know our kids are overloaded? There's a lot going on. <clears throat> we live in a really fast-paced world, and if we're, we're really honest, <clears throat> If someone was to ask you, man, are you really enjoying life? You'd probably say, hey, I'm too busy to talk about that. <laughs> we'll come back and talk about that in a little bit. We're just busy people. Busy people. I, 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 
we sent out a quote this weekend to kind of give you a taste of what this message was about, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you. And here's a quote. Many of us <coughs> are robbed from a life of meaning, not because we're not committed, but because we're overcommitted. Many of us are robbed from what really life is all about, not because you're not committed. You are some committed people. The problem is you're overcommitted. You're doing too much. Doing too much. Never thought you'd probably come to a church and hear somebody say, you're doing too much. Usually we say, we're not, you're not doing enough. But you're doing too much. And if you're doing too much, then what ends up happening is we start putting importance on lesser things and less importance on important things. So let's talk about margin. Let's get a working definition here. If you're taking notes, okay, here we go. Uh, what is margin? Margin is the amount available between what is necessary. The amount available beyond what is necessary. Here's, here's another way to look at it. It's the difference between what you have and what you need. Margin is the difference between what you have and what you need. Let me, let me put this in a perspective where you can, can, can kind of think through what this actually is. If I have 30 minutes to get to, uh, to work and it takes me 20 minutes to get there, how much margin do I have? How much? 10 minutes. Okay. All right. If I have a bill that is $80, and I have $100 in my checking account. How much margin do I have? $20, okay? If you said 10, that might be a problem of why you have financial issues. You have $20 of margin. So let's talk about this. How does margin play out in everyday life? Here, I just wrote down a couple of things of how margin plays out. Margin is showing up maybe five or ten minutes early to a meeting or to, to church. Margin. Margin is financially would be having money left over at the end of the month. Let me repeat that again. Margin is having money left over at the end of the month. Margin is having the emotional capacity to deal with problems. That means when your kids kind of drop something on you that you don't explode on them. Because you're so overloaded and so stressed and so worked up that your kid does one little thing and you blow up. Because you have no margin. Margin in our lives. Margin is having maybe three or four nights a week where you don't do anything. Where you stay home and enjoy your family. Maybe margin is having extra time or extra money to invest it, to give to people, to bless people, to do things that you love to do. Maybe margin is the fact that you can spend quality time with the Lord and not just to hurry, God, help me today. But margin is this idea of giving more time to the things that we value the most. That's what margin is. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when we live a margin-less life. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing. If we don't have margin in our life, let me just tell you, I'm going to tell you what it's going to be like, and then you'll probably say this is very true. Number one, when margin decreases, your stress increases. When margin increases, I mean decreases, your stress increases. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Let's go there. And I want to read a story about two ladies, very famous ladies, and probably a very famous story. Many of you probably have heard this story before. I want to show it kind of in a little bit of a different light. we got two ladies, a lady named Mary, a lady named Martha, and Jesus uh, knows both of them. Jesus coming over to the house to come and have dinner with them. And they are so excited, so excited to have them. And we're going to see two ladies, and their kind of perspectives are a little bit different about Jesus coming over. Let's, if you're with me, go to verse 38. We're going to read a little bit. Luke chapter 10, 
starting in verse 38. It says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into, whose house is it? Her house. Okay, so let's just take a couple notes in your mind. It's Martha's house. She does the inviting. Hey, Jesus, hey, I'd like to have a dinner party. You want to come over? And Jesus says, yeah, I'd love to. I'd be there. Okay, great. Verse 39. So she had her sister called Mary. She said, Mary, Jesus is coming over. Get over here. Come on. You got to help me. And look what it says. Mary comes over. And what does she do? She sits. Ain't that a sister? Just sits around doing nothing. I'm over here trying to be all productive, trying to get this house ready, and you're over here just sitting. Look what it is. She's sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. But Martha was what? What's that word? Say it out loud. Was distracted. She was distracted with much serving. So, of course, she's doing a lot of serving. She's trying, to, she's trying to get all the dinnerware out. She's trying to cook a meal. She's trying to get the kids all set up. She's trying to get everything worked together. She's trying to make sure there's not toilet paper in the uh, restroom for Jesus. I mean, God forbid Jesus not have toilet paper in the restroom. Okay, you need, you got to have everything perfect. How many of you are like this? And you, when guests come over, you get a little crazy. Come on, how many of you admit it? You get a little crazy? Okay, all right. All right, guests come over. How many of you, your relatives or some other people come over? You're like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Okay, special people come over, you're like, okay, we care. All right, everybody, throw everything under your bed. Just get it under your bed, in a closet, get it somewhere. All right, so she's, she's just trying to make her home a hospitable place for Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. Totally fine with that. Only problem is that scripture says that she was distracted with much serving. So she's getting a little fashed. She's getting a little anxious. She's getting a little... To be honest with you, a little P.O.'d at her sister. I'm over here doing all the work. You're sitting over here just sitting listening to Jesus, trying to entertain him. And I'm over here trying to fix his ham for all of us. And so this is what she says. She, yeah, he didn't eat ham, did they? They didn't eat ham. This is a Jewish thing. We'll throw some fish out there. Okay. What else would y'all like to see at this meal? Let's go put some things out there. Okay. Jesus made everything clean, so he probably ate ham. He probably ate ham right in front of everybody, too, just to hack them off. Jesus, what would you like? I'll take ham. What? (laughs) So let's see what she does. Mary, she goes up to Jesus, and she says to him, Lord, do you not? Yeah, that's the part where you... You finish. Okay. Do you not care that my sister has left me to this ham all by myself? Tell her to what? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Isn't it interesting to you that she, that Martha wasn't distracted by something that was bad or something that was evil? It's perfectly fine. I mean, what she was trying to do is what we hope all of you do. And people come over, hope, hope you do get your house ready. But I'll, I'll tell you this. If Satan can't make you really, really bad, he'll make you really, really busy. I'll say that really, really, really good. If Satan can't make you really, really bad, he'll make you really, really busy. He'll make you real busy. He'll make you busy. We become so consumed with lesser things that we miss the most important things. Why? Because we're busy. We're so busy. 
And this is the story of Martha. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. Creator, God, walked on water, did all the miracles, Savior of the world, in the house. And instead of spending time with Jesus, she's got to go worry about the ham. She's got to go take care of the stuff. And Jesus looks at her and goes, you're distracted. And how many know when margin decreases, stress increases, and she is stressed out. And she's stressed out about her sister. She's stressed out about all the stuff that's got to get done. But the truth is, she's putting more focus on the less things and less focus on the most important things. She's being with Jesus. And in our lives, when we live a marginless life, we come to this place where we have stress. Come on, let, let, let's, let's be honest yet again. When you're running late, margin is decreasing, what ends up happening? Right? How many of you been there before? Let's go! We got to go! Five minutes, five minutes. We got to be there in five minutes. It takes eight minutes to get there. That means we got to pray for green lights, okay? And then you're cussing at people. And you're like, I got to get there. And you're, what in the world? What's going on? And you're, you're screaming at each other. And then you show up and you're like, hey, we're at church. Hey, guys. How's things going? Good. <laughs> Some elbows going right now. No elbows in this church, okay? Let, let's, let's talk about this. When financial margin decreases, what ends up happening in your marriage? Stress. The number one reason for divorce oftentimes is money. Don't make enough of it. And we spend too much of it. So what ends up happening is, come on, let's be honest. When financial margin decreases, you don't have enough to... To pay for all this stuff that we have, stress increases and it happens in a marriage. And it happens in a family. It happens everywhere. When, where margin decreases, stress increases. You can see it play out in every relationship and every avenue of life. If you have less margin, there's greater chance for greater stress. How many would say amen to that? It's true? You've seen that happen in your life? Number two, let's talk about number two. When margin decreases... Your relational intimacy decreases. When margin decreases, your relational intimacy decreases. I'm gonna, I want to show you. Luke chapter 10. Now, let, let's, let's go to the next verse, verse 41. Let, let's go back. Let's go back. Verse 40. But Martha was, what's the word? Distracted with much serving. She went up to him and she said, Lord, don't you what? Don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered to her. And this is what, this is what Jesus says to her. Martha, Martha. Anytime you say somebody's name twice. You know, <laughs> Josh, Josh. That's what it is. Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled. With good things. Good things. But you're anxious and you're troubled about many things. But look at this. One thing. Underline that. The one thing. But one thing is necessary. Mary has, now I want you to underline this word, chosen. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. She has chosen. We'll come back to that. But notice that because 
of the decrease in margin and because of the craziness of life and because of focusing on less important things, Jesus brings back to her and says, but there's one thing that you're missing right now. It's the most important thing. And the most important thing is to be with me, to be with Jesus. But notice when margin decreases, relational intimacy decreases. When margin when margin decreases, when stress begins to increase, guess what? All your relationships, what do they do? They suffer for them, right? When you're stressed out, does it make for great relationships? No. It makes it terrible for everybody, for your spouse, for your children, for your friends, the people around you, because you're so stressed, nobody wants to be around you. And she's all stressed out, and she's, she's going crazy, and she's anxious, and she's troubled according to this. And so the relational intimacy decreases. I, I'll... If you go to dinner, watch, when you go to lunch, I want you to watch this. We have no margin in our lives at all. And the problem that has really taken place is one of the things that's created less and less margin in our lives is called a smartphone. It's called a smartphone. The thing that's probably destroyed more marriages as of recently in this culture, in this day and age, is the access to technology and the access to everything and anything at all points of the day. You go to lunch. And you sit down, and you watch people eat lunch as a family. And you tell me how many people are on their phones. How many? I, I, we go to dinner all the time, and it's crazy. You know, I'll, I'll go out on a, you know, a date and take Lindsay out on a date, and we'll go and sit down. And, and, and you know, part of our rules is no, no phones at the dinner. No phones. I mean, unless it's like, you know, with Joel and everything that's going on, we have to have them close. But... No, no surfing, no doing things like we're locked in. We're here. This is our time. This is our moment. And it's amazing. You sit around and you see families of four or five people, and they're all like on their phones, like, you know, taking pictures of their food. I'm sitting here taking pictures of my food. Great food, you know. Sitting here having, texting each other instead of talking to each other. <laughs> Twittering different things, you know, of what's going on. I'm enjoying dinner with my family. Great time together, you know. Stop playing with your Twitter, okay? And you can quote me on that right now. Stop playing with your Twitter at the table. No Facebooking, no nothing at your table. Because what it does is it creates no margin and it creates all the relational, relational intimacy and the relational connection is gone. It's gone. Because we're so connected to everybody else, we're not connected to the people who care about us the most. Right? I'm connected with people who don't, I don't even care about, they don't care about me, to be honest with you, and I'm so concerned about them that I'm not concerned about the people that are sitting right in front of me that really love me the most. And so phones are, to be honest with you, destroying our marriages and they're destroying our families because they are so intoxicating and we're losing that relational intimacy. But I cannot, can I tell you this, when, when margin decreases and relational intimacy decreases, it not only affects your relationship with people, it reflects your relationship with God. Do y'all know this? Um, I run into people all the time who are, are formerly OSC people, formerly come to the church, and or, or people who are say that they're a part of our church, but you haven't seen them in like six weeks. And you'll go, hey, hey, what's going on? You know, you'll see them at Walmart, and it's really awkward, really awkward. And usually they're like trying to duck you. I love because I hunt them down. <laughs> I chase them down. So they'll be like going down the aisle, and you know they saw you. And then, so they'll go around the other aisle. So I'll go around the other aisle. Then they go around the other aisle. And I'm like, I'm trapping them. I'm going to find them. All right, this is what us good pastors do. We hunt you down. And then we're like, hey. And then they're like, hey. I didn't see you. You liar. You saw me. 
<laughs> and then you say, hey, how's it been? I've missed you at church. And they'll go, man, it's going great. I, I would love to. Man, I've been meaning to be at church. I've just been busy. I've been busy. I've been busy. How clever is it that we have an enemy that convinces us that God is not that important on our priority list? So we work more, we, 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 we do more, we're just busy. And it, cre- it creates even an opportunity for us to not be at church because we're busy, because we're working more, because we've got to make more money, right? So I can just miss for a while and, not, and we're just constantly doing stuff, constantly. We don't, we don't need relationship. And then that flows into even your relationship with God personally and your time with the Lord in the mornings because you're so busy because you've got to get up and you've got to do things. You've got to get stuff ready and, you gotta get, and it's just constant. How many know what I'm talking about? And I'm probably preaching to the choir in this, and I'll be honest with you, I'm preaching to myself on this one. This message hurts me just as much as it hurts you. You ever had your parents say this, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, and you're like, shut up. <laughs> then you're always like, give me the paddle, let me spank you, and we'll see. We'll trade whack. So I feel like I just said that to you. This is going to hurt you as much as it hurt me. Oh, shut up. All right. Now notice this, look back at that verse, because I want to, we got to get going, but look at the end of verse 42, it says, but one thing is necessary, Mary has what? What is that word? She's chosen. Can I say this, the choice is yours. We're going to talk about this margin for the next couple of weeks, and you're going to be tempted to push back on me, okay? You're going to be tempted over this week and next week, even as Pastor Bubba goes into this series, you're going to be tempted to look at me and go, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you only work one day a week, which I find that kind of funny already. You, you don't know what stress is. Really? Really? Do you want to go there? You, you have no clue. You, you don't know what my life's like. You don't know what this is going on. You don't know, there's no way that I can do this. Really? Can I tell you this? you got a choice, and you're making it. You're making it. And you're going to have a choice. And we're going to do what I like to call a come-to-Jesus meeting. This is what this today is. It's a come-to-Jesus meeting. It's an opportunity for us to come to Jesus. And, and, and lay, lay our priorities and lay our lives and lay our plans and lay our schedules at the feet of Jesus and go, Jesus, is this what you wanted? Because I'm, I'm miserable and worn out and tired. And if this is the life that Jesus called me to live, man, I don't know if I want this. But I'll tell you, there's a lot on your schedule that Jesus never told you to do. And so we're stressed out and we're burnt out. But there's going to be a choice and you're going to have to make a choice. And some of you are going to hear this message and you're going to just go out and you're going to keep doing what you normally do because that's just what you do. And then there's some of you that are going to hear this message and you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and then you're going to want to change and you're going to change and your life's going to be different and your marriage is going to be different and your work's going to be different and your family's going to love you for it and I'm so excited for you and I want you to know I'm going to fight with you for that. Because I believe that this margin series is going to be life transforming if you can understand what we're trying to do in your life is to help you to live a sustainable life. How many want to live 80, 90 years and, and look back and say, man, I, I just enjoyed life. I gave everything that I could. And I wasn't overloaded and worked out and burnt out. I, I met with a guy this week that's in his, young, his, or his early 20s and he's talking about what he's going to be doing over the next couple of months and then just planning out his year and he's working with a guy who's an older guy and he's he sat in my office literally this week and said yeah I was meeting with this guy at my work he's 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 older he's an older gentleman and we were just having kind of conversation just about life and the, the older guy looked at him and said you know what he said if there's one thing that I regret in my life I work too much 
I worked too much. And I missed out on a lot of my kids' stuff. This is a guy who's in his 60s, 70s, 80s. I don't even know how old he was. He was older. And he looked at this young guy who's in his 20s and said, I just work too much. I work too much. And the truth is, when you get on your deathbed and you're looking back of your life, you won't regret the fact that you didn't work as much. You won't look back and go, I wish I would have worked more. You won't. You won't look back and go, I wish I would have made more money. I wish I would have bought that other car. I wish I would have had that house. You won't think about that. You know what you'll think about? Man, I wish I would have had time with my children when they were young. I wish I would have been there more for my wife. I wish I would have been there more for the church. I wish I could have given more. I wish I could. Those are the things that you're going to wish you would have done. But I can tell you right now, you will not do any of those if you don't have margin. None of them. You need margin in your life. You need space in your life to be able to last the long haul. So let's talk about this question here. How do we start creating margin? How do we start? Next weekend, Pastor Bill is going to come back and he's going to talk about what margin looks like in our relationship with other people and our relationship with God and how that works out. This week, I want to talk about you. What does margin look like? How do we start creating it in your life? Here we go. Number one. Well, actually, let's go here. Go uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And then I'll give you the first point after we read Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be there <coughs> primarily for the rest of our time today. Ephesians chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesus church, and he's giving them a warning. He's giving them an admonishing. He's giving them an encouragement. And he says in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, <coughs> this is what he says. He says, so be, what's that word? What is it? Be careful how you live. Don't live like what? Fools. I'm going to tell you what that is in just a minute. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. So here's our first start in creating margin. If you want to start creating margin, you did the survey and you figured out you are overloaded and we got to start somewhere. Where do we start? The first place we start is number one, is we acknowledge and repent of foolish living. We acknowledge and repent of foolish living. If you're not careful, this scripture is very clear to be careful. Be careful. The only time you tell somebody to be careful about something is when you know that there's danger near. Be careful. You got all your light sockets unplugged and your children are running around. You're like, be careful. Okay, you got something hot on the stove. Your children are around. You're like, be careful. Why are you telling them to be careful? Because what is close to them could kill them. It could hurt them. So Paul is telling the Ephesus church, and he's also telling you today, the OSC church, to be careful. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. And so if we want to start having margin, we got to create a lifestyle of margin. Then we got to acknowledge, are we living like fools? Well, let's find out. Are we living like fools? What is foolish living? If you want to write something down, here's what foolish living is. Foolish living is filling our lives with things that don't matter. Filling our lives with things that don't matter. Uh, here's another word for it. If you really want to, foolish living at the core is what, it's, it's one big word. It's really the story of the Ten Commandments. It's idolatry. Idolatry. Now let me, let me define idolatry for you. Idolatry is when you make a good thing a God thing. Idolatry is when you make a good thing a God thing. 
<clears throat> why is it that very few people take the house that they can't afford and they sell it and downsize it to create some financial margin? Idolatry. They make a good thing a God thing. Why is it that we say money doesn't make us happen and then we fight, scrape, and burn both sides of the candles to make as much as we possibly can? Idolatry. Why is it that we don't radically cut back on our schedules to spend more time with our children, to spend more time with our spouses that will be out of the house soon? Idolatry. Got to have more, do more, make more. Why is it that we let our kids be involved in every sport? Known to man, take us all over the world for someone who, we know they're going to be a professional, right? I mean, God forbid we invest in them spiritually, make them go to church and be a part of our student ministry and be a part of people who are discipling them. God forbid we do that. We've got to make sure they're involved in everything around the world and that our family is split five nights out of the week so that we can, way we can make sure every child is in every sport possible, right? Y'all see how this works? Busy. Busy. Busy, busy, busy. And idolatry is insane, and it's killing marriages, and it's killing families, and it's hurting people. And can I tell you this? It's not what God intended for you. Foolish living is when we put more emphasis on lesser things and less emphasis on more important things. It's when we put more emphasis on earthly and less emphasis on eternal. Now, here's the thing about idolatry. It's making good things God things. Now, is having good things wrong? No. Let me say this. Making a lot of money is great, and I pray all of you are filthy rich. I pray you give to the kingdom, and I pray we see God advance his kingdom through his money. Okay, but I don't want to see you make money at the, at the cost of losing your marriage. I don't see you make money at the cost of losing your children. I don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see that. I don't want to see the fact that, that, that husbands are spending more times devoted to their work than they are devoted to their spouse or devoted to their wives or more times devoted to their hobbies than they are devoted to their children. You know what my hobby is? Three boys. That's my hobby. I don't have a hobby. My hobby are my children. That's my hobby right now. Hopefully I will get a hobby soon. But as of right now, it's children. I got offered to, uh, to go to the, to the JHS game this past Saturday on Friday. I still wanted to go to the playoff game. But you know what I said? I love my family enough to know that my wife's had a very long day at home with three drunk Indians. <laughs> and so if I say yes to this game and go to this game, I better not come home. Because if I come home... It's going to be the burning wrath of the eyes on my back while I'm sleeping at night. Like, you left me again with these three drunk boys that are running. So you guess what I do? You know what? I lay down my personal preferences and what I want to do so that I can invest in my children and my wife. Now, let me say this. To say something good that I did, let me also say something where I've blown it. So that way you can't think that I'm awesome. Okay? There's many a times where I have stayed on the couch, whether it's through Facebook or on my phone, and doing things where my wife is up slaving, making medicines for Joel, cooking dinner, setting tables, running all over crazy, and I'm just sitting on the couch, vegging out, doing nothing. And that happens more times than I care to admit, where my wife has to come in and go, can you help me? And I go, with what? <laughs> Don't. 
guys, I'm going to help you. Don't ever say that. With what? You better open your eyes and see with what. With what is. <clears throat> okay, good. Amen. So I've had a lot of times of acknowledging, I'm going to tell you right now, and repenting of foolish living to Lindsay and to my boys for putting work. Uh, there's been times where I'd be working at home on things that are very important, things that bless you. I love you. And I want to see this church succeed, and I want to see this church blow up, and I want to see God do incredible things, but I can't do that at the expense of not being with my boys. My boys would come in and wrestle on me, and I'm like, get off of me. Can you see I'm working? And then God will convict me and go, how do you do this to your children? Your children just want to wrestle with you and spend time with you, and you're so busy on a computer. Put the computer down and wrestle with your boys. They won't be here for long. And every parent here that has their child raised and gone, you say, they won't be here for long. They won't be here for long. So we got to learn to take advantage of those times that we have. We need to acknowledge and repent of foolish living. Are we, are we putting important things? Are we putting more emphasis on, on less important things and less imp importance on the less important? Number two, we need to make wise decisions. Let's look at verse 15 again. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Okay, we've acknowledged that. We've acknowledged where we've done that in our lives. We've repented of that. Now what's the next step? Now we need to make wise decisions. You need to be like those who are wise. Let me, let me, let me walk you through a question that's really, really helped me. And this is going to be super practical, okay? I'm going to get practical here. Okay, so here's how, how this works. Um, if I said to you, hey, um, hey, you want to come to a game with me on Saturday? I'm going to go to a game on Saturday. You want to come with me? Okay, this is how most of us in here would look. This is how it would work. You would look at your schedule, my schedule. I have my schedule on my phone. Uh, it's synced up with my wife, so I know what her schedule is. We both know what each other's schedule is. And so a lot of times she'll call me and say, hey, such and such invite us to this. Can we go? Can we do it? And most of the time what we'll do is we'll look at our calendar, and if it's free, we'll say, yes, we're free. Uh, it's good. Let's go. We're free. But I, can I tell you the, the worst question that has happened for us in scheduling, learning how to schedule like God wants us to schedule our lives is to, to not ask the question, are we free? That's not a good question. Because you may be free, but it still might not be the good thing for you to do. Okay? Let me show you. Here's the question that you need to ask when it comes to scheduling the way that God wants you to schedule. Don't ask, am I free? Ask, is it wise? Okay? Let me walk you through this. Because I'm telling you, this is revolutionary. This is really helped me. This has helped our family. Uh, it's the, the, really, it's the, the reason when I got the offer for the football tickets, I said, am I free? Yes. Is it wise? Mm, not so much. So here's how it works. In light of the fact that our marriage is not where God wants it to be, is it wise that I take on this? In light of the fact that I have two children that are young, that are in diapers, my wife's going crazy, is it wise that I go to this? Is it wise that uh, in light of the fact that we have a, a senior at home who has one year left in school, is it wise that I take this job that requires me to be gone 40 days out of the month? Which that's kind of weird, but <laughs> I went to private school, so please bear with me. I'm full of them today. But in light of the fact that we have a senior at home, is it wise that I'm gone so much? 
In light of the fact that I'm trying to save up for a wedding or save up for a car, save up for the house, is it wise that I buy this right now? Are y'all with me here? Is it wise? Can you? Yes. I have the money to buy this. I can buy it right now. I can get it. But is it wise? Should I? Should I do this? In light of my marriage, in light of my children, in light of where I am in my season of life, in light of what's going on at church, in light of what's happening here, is it wise? Is it wise? Part of making wise decisions is asking the question, is it wise? So how do you schedule wise things? How do you schedule wisely? Well, you ask the question, is it wise? And then here's the other thing. You've got to learn to say no to many good things so that you can say yes to great things. I'm preaching a lot better than you're responding. you got to learn to say no to good things so you can say yes to great things. Okay? So sometimes that's saying no to somebody, going, no, I can't go to that birthday party. I would love to, but I need to go do this with my family. I, maybe says, no, I would love to go and spend money on this, but I, I, that's a good thing. But here's a great thing that I have to say yes to. Really, budget and money is all about saying no now so you can say yes later. Y'all understand how money works. You say no now to certain things, to eating out all the time, to doing all this all the time, so that way you can have money later on to say yes to great things. That's what a savings account is. That's what, that's what having a budget is. It's putting your money where you want it to go. It's saying no to this so I can say yes to this. It's having discipline. And if we want to make wise decisions, we got to be willing to sacrifice our current convenience for future things. Are you all with me here? We're, we're, we're sacrificing things right now that I would love to do, to go hunting or to go fishing. And those things are good things, and those are great things. But if it's in the point where I can't do it with the great things, then I don't want to do it. Y'all with me? Okay. All right. <clears throat> you know, in our home, uh, Lindsay and I are very organized people. Very organized people. We like things organized. We like our home organized. I like stuff organized. I'll organize you if you give me time. We'll get you organized. I'm just a very organized person. I like to have things organized. And I love the fact that I married a wife who loves things organized. <clears throat> and uh, one of the things that we do every night is we cook dishes and then we clean them. Whew, God forbid. I know. Huh? It's kind of crazy. Uh, we cook them. We clean them. We put them in the dishwasher. And it's done. It's quick. And it's, we do it. We do it every night. Takes about 15 minutes, or we're done. We, that's just something that we do. But one of the things that we also like to do is we like to have our house clean. Like to have it as clean as possible. And one of the things that uh, you know, with three drunk Indians, it's hard to keep it that way. <laughs> so we live in a 1,100 square foot home, very small. Please pray for us. We're trying to sell our house right now. Can you pray for us that this would sell? Um, we got a God opportunity to get another house, and we need it. Um, but. We live in a very small home, and with three crazy boys, that home can get messed up real quick, like in five minutes. Like we had someone come and help us yesterday and cleaned our home, and my wife says, nobody enters the house with shoes. I was like, what about the dog? <laughs> you know, nobody. Dog stays out. Everybody stays out. We try to keep our home as clean as possible. But can I tell you, we've just come to a point knowing that living life with three boys and craziness and all that stuff, we've learned to just live life with some mess in some generalized areas. So sometimes you'll come over to the house and you may have to step over a toy because we've chosen to, to, to put more importance on relationships than just tasks. Are y'all with me here? I would rather my house to be a little crazy and have great relationships than my house to be immaculate and my boys hate me. Y'all with me? So sometimes you got to choose your battles. you got to choose the more important things over the lesser things. 
A clean house? Yes, please have a clean house. Now, that doesn't mean that we just have filth all over the place. Not at all. But toys and lightsabers and guns and everything all over the place and army men and Legos that I slip on and trip on and want to cuss. <laughs> but I love my boys. Because we value relationship over tasks. We value relationships over things. Okay? So we need to make wise decisions. And last one, let's wrap this up. Let's look at verse 16. Make the most of every opportunity. Let's, let's read the whole thing through. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Here's the big question. How do we understand what the Lord wants us to do? How do we live wise and make wise decisions? How do we not act thoughtlessly? Here's the key. It's actually our first core value here at the church. Connect with Jesus. The third and final point. Connect with Jesus. Connect with Jesus. Now, many of you have been following our story and everything that's going on with Joel. And let, let me just put a pause right here and just tell you, Joel is doing great right now. Um, yeah, and we're really excited about that. Um, I'll just give you a one-minute thing of what's going on. Uh, he, uh, we just got a call from our, our Colorado specialist, and we were supposed to fly to Colorado in two weeks for them to do what's called a septostomy, which is they'll go and make a hole in his heart to help relieve some pressure. But they said if his, if his numbers were improving, they were going to hold off on, on it. And so we were waiting on this phone call to find out, are we doing it or we're not doing it? And they called and they said, we're not doing it because he's doing better. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so he's still very severe. Um, that's why you haven't seen him at church. He's not allowed to come in church during the winter. So he won't be here for the next three months, um, which breaks his heart, to be honest with you, to see his family leave and go to church and him not go. Um, he loves church. Um, but he's doing really well, and I just want to just say thank you for all your prayers, and thank you for everybody that's supported us and helped us in practical ways and in just in spiritual ways and encouraging us. Um, it's, been a, it's been a long road, but God's good, and we're seeing a miracle. So thank you for doing that, and we will continue to believe that the miracle will come to completion. Um, but let me say this. Uh, Lindsay and I had this conversation actually within the kind of the past two weeks. We've been kind of dialoguing about this even before we knew we were doing this series. <coughs> and my wife is amazing, and I don't have to tell anybody in here that. Y'all all know that. Um, she takes care of three drunk Indians, is now homeschooling our two boys. I just, I, it was funny, at the beginning of the year, Lindsay looked at me and said, do you think I can homeschool? We're just kind of throwing things around. you think I can homeschool? And I said, <laughs> no. <laughs> and she got mad at me. She got offended. And then actually afterwards, she was like, I'm glad you said that because it's right. And then, actually, two days ago, she looked at me and she said, you want to eat your words? <laughs> I said, what you talking about? She said, you said I can't homeschool. <laughs> I said, oh, you're amazing. Um, so she takes care of three crazy boys, now homeschools two boys, with 24-hour care of a nurse to a son who who's needs 24-hour care, maintains our house. If you walk in our house, you would think it's clean all the time. Um, takes care of me, 
which is a full-time job in and of itself, mentors women, just does so much, and um, such a gift. And we had this conversation a couple of days ago, and she said, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore unless I get some, some time to, to be able to just decompress and spend. And so we, were, we went on a date night and kind of talked through some practicals of what we could do to give her some, some time um, out of the house. Because with Joel having to be in the house all the time, she's in the house all the time. So it's a little crazy. Um, and so we talked about some practical things. But then the next day she came up to me. She said, you know what I need more than anything? I just need to spend time with Jesus. Give me some time every day to spend time with Jesus, and you'll be all right. I promise you. Our house will be better, and I'll be better if you give me some time with Jesus. And I, I just love living with a wife who is more passionate about spending time with Jesus than going out with the girls. Or spending time with Jesus than going out by herself. And, um, and sh- she's realized, and I've realized, here's, here's the deal when it comes to this. When you don't have your time with Jesus for one day or two days, you notice it. When you don't have time with Jesus for three or four or five days, your wife notices it, or your husband notices it, or your family notices it. When you don't have time with Jesus for a week or two, everyone notices it. Everyone. They notice it in your attitude because you're sharp, you're not loving, you're critical, you're impatient, you're cranky. You're <laughs> and so we've had to learn to fight for each other to have time to spend with the Lord. I want to be a great husband to her, but I'm not a great husband if I don't spend time with Jesus. And she's not a great wife to me if she doesn't learn to spend time with Jesus. Because when she loves Jesus and Jesus loves her, then she can love me. I'm a lot to love. (laughs) And our boys are a lot to love. And it can be a bit demanding. And I say all that, one, to just honor my wife because she's amazing. But I also say that to admonish you to not put lesser value on your time with Jesus. Make that the most important thing that you do. Schedule that. Move everything else around that. Y'all with me? We got to connect with Jesus. When we connect with Jesus, then when we connect with Jesus, the overflow out of us is that we can love people. But when we don't connect with Jesus, it's hard even for us to love ourselves. They're less loving people. So the, the relational margin, the spiritual margin decreases. And guess what? Stress increases. And relational intimacy decreases. And things around it just it's hard and so we connect with Jesus. Let me turn, you don't have to turn there, I'm actually just going to put it up on the screen but Matthew 11 is probably one of the most comforting verses for people who are overloaded. Look what it says. What's the first three words? Come to me. Come to me all who are labor, who, who all who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, all who are overloaded and stressed out. Come to me, all who are tired and can't go anymore. Come to me, all single moms who can't do it anymore. Come to me, dads who don't have enough hours in your week to try to be a successful businessman and also try to raise a family. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me, those who don't know what to do. Come to me, those who are living foolishly. Come to me. And look what he says, if you come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and, and I will give you rest. That's a word that's foreign to us. Rest. And notice, notice who gives it. 
He gives it. He gives it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For the next two weeks, at least, maybe even beyond, we're talking a little bit about how this series is going to go. But can I tell you, this is our, this is our passion right here. We're going to learn from Jesus. How did Jesus live? How I many know Jesus was a pretty busy guy? Pretty busy. Had a lot of people following him. Just got to save the world. No biggie. No biggie. Let's learn from him. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, what's the word again? You'll find rest. And notice what it's for. Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're going to find rest for your Can we just, can you close your eyes just right where you are? No, just no moving around, no, no note taking. And I want to read this verse again to you. And I want you to allow this verse to be refreshing and a challenge and an encouragement. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me read another verse for you. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still And know that I am God. Be still. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And we quiet our souls. We quiet our bodies. We quiet our minds. God, in the midst of the fast pace of life, craziness of schedules, the demands of work, we say that we will come to you. Jesus will come to you. God, this is a call and this is a cry from your heart for your people to come to you. So Jesus, we come to you today. And we ask, God, that you would do what your word promises, and that you would give us rest. Rest for weary minds. Rest for tired bodies. Rest for, for overworked souls. Rest for those who are stressed. Rest for those who are burdened. Rest for those, God, who just need relief. And God, have looked to everything else for relief. Have looked to TV for relief have looked to work for relief, have looked to a a, a relationship for a relief, have looked to maybe a bottle for relief, or looked to pills for relief, have looked to other things for relief, but God, have fallen short. We come to you, Jesus, knowing that you're our answer, you're our hope, you're our life, you're our faith, you're our strength. We come, Jesus, and we quiet our souls, for in the stillness of quieting our souls, God, we find you. We find you. So, God, I pray over every person in this room that over the course of these next couple of weeks, God, as we dive into what it looks like to to live a life of margin, 
God, to live a life with faith and rest. God, I pray, Lord, that you would transform lives, change the way we live life. May we live life the way you designed it to be. 